Jerry Agar in again for John Moore. We hope uh, he is recovering at home and we'll be back with you on Monday. It's a voice issue, really. In fact, if you were listening from 5 to 6 yesterday morning, you would have heard it happening. Uh, they finally came running down the hall yesterday and said, uh, we got to take him off the air. It's time for you to take over. So hopefully, as I said, he'll be back on Monday. Five crew members, seven passengers on a chartered Canadian flight were detained in the Dominican Republic for almost eight years or eight months. I'm sorry, eight months. Um, We talked to some of them here on various radio shows throughout the course of that eight months. They now have been returned, and W5 has a show about this. Christina decides that she's going to go onto the computer and look at some of the video evidence that's been presented by the prosecution, and she has this eureka moment. She was like, I found something, I found something. All right, that's from the special. Joining me now, W5 host and managing editor, Avery Haynes. Good morning. Good morning, Jerry. What she found was evidence that demonstrates the Canadians didn't do it. It, it's an extraordinary uh, twist on on a story that really has so many roller coasters, Jerry. I mean, this this flight attendant, Christina Carello, um, as all the crew was, as they were living in their safe house in the Dominican uh, under guard because they had disrupted a, a massive shipment of cocaine that was destined for Toronto. They are going through surveillance video from the hours uh, and days before uh, the plane was set to take off on return to Canada, and no one could find anything. The lawyers had looked at the surveillance video uh, for both the crew, the passengers, as well as the prosecutor. And Christina, instead of focusing on the plane in the surveillance video, decided to keep her eye on the timestamp. And she saw uh, a jump of 43 minutes. There were 43 minutes edited out of the surveillance video. Wow. And so she goes digging through the files that were sent to her, and in a misnamed file, she found another video that was from a different angle that was not edited. And in that 43 minutes, and you'll be able to watch it on the piece tomorrow night, but in that 43 minutes, you see a Punta Cana airport truck pull up to the plane, you see bags, duffel bags, big black duffel bags pile up uh, underneath the belly of the plane, and then you see them disappear into the plane in the hours before they were discovered by the crew. And hotel video shows, hotel surveillance video shows that not one of the 12 Canadians left their hotel during that time. So none of them physically were involved in putting those drugs on that plane. Now, uh, to play devil's advocate a little bit here, that doesn't prove they weren't involved. It proves they didn't put it on the plane. Now you're talking, Jerry, because that's (laughs) exactly what my investigation is all about. Because all I could think of is, I mean, you know, I was very excited when finally we got access to go down to the Dominican and be with them in in their safe house. Uh, They were so scared, Jerry, they wouldn't even give me the address of where they were staying um, until I landed. And, uh, you know, they'd been shuffled to five different safe houses by the time that I saw them because they had disrupted this $26 million worth of cocaine that was destined for Toronto. But I kept thinking, okay, so there's the Dominican angle. Clearly somebody at Punta Cana Airport, which is known as Narco Paradise, by the way, fully privatized airport, clearly people there were involved in this. But somebody was planning to pick that up on this end. And and the other, there were a couple of other things that really stuck out at me to investigate. This was a charter. It cost $100,000 to send that 50-seat jet from Toronto to Punta Cana. And I couldn't figure out why would seven Canadians from Edmonton fly commercial to Toronto to pick up a private 
jet to fly them to Punta Cana. It didn't make any sense. And so our investigation looks at who chartered the plane, why were those seven Canadians on that plane, and what, if any, is being done to investigate what would have been a massive, massive shipment of of cocaine here in the city. So you're questioning passengers here, not crew. The, I'm question, I, our investigation is focusing on the passengers, um, and there, we've, we've made some very interesting discoveries about uh, some of the passengers. We, we have uh, very interesting revelations as well about what happened when, when those drugs were initially discovered. So, you know, the, the, they're all ready for takeoff. The uh, mechanic notices that the light is going off. I mean, really, the, pl- the, the passengers are on the plane. A light is going off, warning that one of the one of the compartments is open. He goes down and he sees this one big black duffel bag in the avionics bay, which is kind of like the brain of the plane. It's where all the computers are housed. Okay. And they initially think it's a bomb. And so they contact uh, Pivot Airlines back in Canada. They contact, uh, the RCMP is contacted immediately. Dominican authorities are contacted immediately. And this is extraordinary. So the uh, airport authorities with police from Dominican come to the plane. They pull out four duffel bags, put them on a cart, and say, okay, you're good to go. The aircraft mechanic goes back to the avionics bay and pokes his head in there. It's kind of like a hatch. It's unlocked, by the way. There is no lock on this compartment. He pokes his head up and says, God, there's more bags in here. They have to call Dominican authorities back to collect the other four bags of, of cocaine. And which is, you know, in itself extraordinary. The pilot says, had that plane taken off, um, they believe that there could have been an aviation disaster because there needs to be airflow in there. If the bags had knocked one of the computers, it really would have been a, a terrible thing. So they're thinking they're going to be hailed as heroes. They, they disrupted this massive shipment of cocaine. They averted a potential air disaster. And one of the flight attendants who I know you guys have had on the air, Alex Rozov, is looking at yeah. uh, at the big drug enforcement officers who all of a sudden kind of come charging in uh, with masks and big guns. And he's recognizing that they're counting out exactly the same number of zip ties as there are uh, Canadians in the lounge. And he realizes, "Uh oh, this isn't good. In the Dominican Republic, they can hold you for up to a year without any charges being laid. And, you know, they they were eight months uh, there nine days in jail and really horrible conditions for the crew, about 21 days for the passengers. Our documentary has interviews, obviously, at the safe house with the crew before they came home, as well as with a couple of the passengers. And and we really followed the money on this as an investigation to figure out who was responsible for chartering that plane and why. I'm talking to Avery Haynes, W5 host and managing editor on what clearly is going to be a fascinating report Saturday at 7 o'clock from W5 Cocaine Cargo. I want to go back, Avery, for a moment here to a piece of security video that had 43 minutes missing. Um, obviously, I don't have the intelligence to know who gets access to what, but that doesn't sound like something that the Canadian air crew could have done. Well, here's what's so fascinating about this. The belief is that that video was edited at the airport. 
And the reason is, and, and you know, if, if Dominican authorities were interested at all in who uh, edited that video, it should be, or, or who was working that night uh, that would be driving that truck, it would be very easy to discover. Because in order to make any edits to surveillance video at Punta Cana Airport, you have to use a fingerprint. And so, you know, the question is, you know, for, for eight months, the Dominican authorities said that they were investigating. They never once interviewed any of the 12 Canadians, didn't even interview them once during eight months, and wouldn't give any information about what investigation they had done at Punta Cana Airport. But this story really is, in a big way, an indictment of uh of the of the government, the fact that a crew was kept there for what twelve Canadians anyway. You know, we see Brittany Griner was released, and Biden is standing up denouncing the the, the Russian government for for detaining her. They kept twelve Canadians with no evidence. They were released on bail by a Dominican judge who said there is no evidence to keep you in jail. But they still sort of were trying to run out the clock on this. And during this entire time, uh, the Canadian government was was relatively silent on this. You know, I don't know what was done behind the scenes. No one from the government would agree for to an interview with us. But I do know that in the midst of all of this, uh, the Prime Minister Trudeau was at a Summit of America's conference joking with the president of the Dominican Republic about what a great place it was to visit while there are 12 Canadians trapped there without passports and wow. living under potential threat of the cartels. Wow, and this gets made into a movie. Who plays you? Well, you know, I'll play me. But <laughs> I was thinking Jody Foster, but yeah, you can play you. Uh, well, listen to this. I, there's even more. During their detainment, Jerry, the two minors get trapped in the Dominican Republic. The government of the Dominican Republic contacts the Canadian government and requests help. Canada sends over massive supplies, broadcasts with photographs on their Twitter feed, Anita Nandas, about how great it is that they're helping free two Dominicans who are trapped in that country, but relatively silent on the 12 Canadians who are being held there without any charges being laid. It's an incredible story that you're telling here, and I know will be expanded because you've got an hour to do it. W5's one-hour special, Cocaine Cargo, airs Saturday at 7 p.m. Avery Haynes, thanks so much. It's 7.31.